Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. Our series of studies for the past several weeks have dealt with the matters of soteriology, properly the name given to studies that concern salvation. On last week's broadcast, we talked about the most important thing after the salvation of the sinner. That, of course, was his assurance of salvation. On today's broadcast, we'll talk for a while about confessing Christ before men, and then on next week's broadcast, we'll talk about soul winning, and Lord willing, the week after that, on the consecrated Christian life. Now, these series of broadcasts that will deal with uh, consecration, finding the Lord's will, prayer, soul winning, the time of study, the victorious Christian life, these series of studies will deal with the practical aspects of Christianity. When I say Christianity, of course, I'm not referring to the term in the popularly used concept as the body of organized religion, but rather as referring to every saved child of God who has been born again with the Holy Spirit. And these matters we're going to talk about now are preeminently practical. Up to now, our studies have been largely theological. In our studies of Satan, demonology, angelology, anthropology, the study of evolution, the creation story, the inspiration of the Bible, the studies that deal with uh, sins against the Holy Spirit, the deity and names of the Holy Spirit, the works of the Trinity. But from here on now, for the next two dozen broadcasts, our subjects will be preeminently practical and will deal with the actual application of the Christian life. We have come a long way since our studies on the Trinity and theology proper on Christology, but the lessons on salvation we now undertake and lessons about the church will deal with practical Christian living. These lessons will deal with the matters of separation, backsliding, Christian worship, suffering for the Lord, communion with the Lord, Christian fellowship, church discipline, and such subjects as the grace of giving, uh, Christian marriage, the Christian home, the missionary challenge, and other matters. And these matters will be uh, very definitely practical. Today we talk about the confession of Christ publicly. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. When the Apostle Paul writes to the Gentile in Romans chapter 10, he says to the unsaved at Rome, Romans 10, 9, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now the question comes up, is it possible to be a secret believer, that is, one that does not confess Christ openly? Well, yes, apparently for a short time. For example, in John 19, 38, we find Joseph of Arimathea being a secret believer, but later he openly confesses Christ and asking for the body of Christ. Another secret disciple in the Bible is Nicodemus, who comes to Christ by night, but doesn't stand up for him publicly till years later before the Sanhedrin. We read in John chapter 12 that many of the chief priests and Pharisees believed on Christ, but because of the uh, Jews running the synagogue, they didn't confess him, lest they be put out of the synagogue, because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So it is possible to be a secret disciple of Jesus Christ, but eventually the chicken will come home to roost or the cow will get out of the bag. That is, if you are saved and a child of God, you're not going to keep your mouth shut forever. The Lord's going to put you in a place where you're going to have to openly confess that you're his or not. And that will happen sooner or later. 
A prime example is Simon Peter, who got by very well at the fireside, cursing and swearing and denying Christ, when he really was a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, within three days of that denial, the Lord put him on the spot and made him confess him three times before his buddies. Now, the two parts of salvation Paul gives to Gentiles have nothing to do with Acts 2.38. They are, first of all, believing in the heart, which is receiving the Lord Jesus as Savior, and then confessing with the mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord. The dying thief on the cross confessed Jesus as Lord by saying, Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. At least the penitent thief confessed that in the King James Bible. You have no Bible in your shelf that has the dying thief confessing Christ as Lord unless you have the King James Bible. If you have any other Bible in your shelf except the King James, the word Lord has been knocked right out of the dying thief's mouth in Luke 23:42 and is not there. There is no Bible translation in the world today that has the dying thief confessing Christ as Lord except the King James 1611 authorized version. Every version printed since 1880 has taken the word Lord and knocked it right out of that thief's mouth. Strangely enough, the new Bibles also attack uh, Paul when he gets saved by removing half of Acts 9, verse 5 to 6, and attack the Ethiopian eunuch when he gets saved in Acts chapter 8 by removing verse 37, and attack the Gentile Philippian jail in Acts chapter 13. Those are the four salient places in the New Testament where a man is saved by grace through faith without water baptism. Luke chapter 23, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 8, and Acts chapter 16. In every one of those cases, the man is saved before he's baptized, except the case of the dying thief who isn't baptized before or after. Every so-called Bible in the market has altered those verses. When I say that, I mean every Bible in the Bible bookstore in your town. If you don't believe it, go down to the bookstore and check them out. Don't you get mad with me just because your friends are crooked. All right, now the necessity of confessing Christ openly. We must confess Christ because Christ commanded it. If a man is a deaf mute, he can confess Christ for sign language. If a man can't speak in over sign language, he can nod his head. But there is some way you can confess Christ. I've been by the deathbeds of dying men in the hospital whose confession of Jesus Christ was reduced to a simple nod of the head upon the question, have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Confessing Christ strengthens our faith and gives us greater courage to do what he'd have us to do. A witnessing Christian is not liable to be a backslidden Christian. Conversely, many backsliders can trace their downfall to their failure to confess Christ publicly. In confessing Jesus Christ, we have very often get the greatest blessing or joy that is possible to get in this human life. A man who confesses Jesus Christ every day doesn't get timid about it. A man who witnesses for Jesus Christ every day very rarely ever doubts his salvation. A man who gets out of fellowship with Jesus Christ is always marked by the fact that he quits witnessing publicly for Jesus Christ. There should be some time and place in your life where you publicly and openly confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. As we said, confession of Christ brings joy to the real convert. 
Joy comes from obeying Christ, and that's part of the obedience. Confession of Jesus Christ solves many problems. Others know who you are and what you stand for and respect your clear-cut stand. Even if they hate your guts, they respect your stand. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, you may have to plead for love in this world, but you don't have to plead for respect. Even this God-forsaken, Bible-denying, sex-crazy, money-mad country, that old reprobate will still take off his hat and tip his hat to an uncompromising character. Don't compromise with him. The world despises a weak, cowardly, secret Christian. Temptations to worldly place of amusement are halted by confession of Christ. Invitations to church activities are multiplied. By confessing Christ publicly, you are automatically put into a different group, and you can't get back in the old worldly group. They won't have you. I remember right after I was saved, I was saved in a radio station. My job in civilian life was a disc jockey, a morning shift disc jockey at a radio station. And I was led to Christ in the record room of that radio station by an evangelist named Hugh Pyle from Panama City, Florida. When he walked by the announcer's booth, I said, Hi, preacher, what do you know? He said, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you know? I said, I don't know him. He said, you'd like to know him? I said, sure, I'd like to know him. And Brother Pyle said, what are you waiting for? Of course, it seemed to me a very peculiar question. I've been putting the ashes on my forehead on Good Friday, you know, and taking the palm leaf home on Saturday and tip-tap throw three in a row and crossed myself every time the angles rang. I've been searching for months. That man took me back in the record room and led me to Jesus Christ. I confessed him publicly later. One of the first problems I have is how to get rid of my old buddies. And I said to another evangelist named James McGinley, who is dead now, but was a great preacher, I said to Brother McGinley, I said, how am I going to get rid of so-and-so, a fellow I used to drink beer with? Brother McGinley said very wisely, you won't have to get rid of him, he'll get rid of you. I said, oh, no, he and me have been buddies for a long time. And McGinley said, are you afraid to confess Christ publicly to him? I said, no. He said, okay, you go ahead and he'll get rid of you. I said, oh, I don't think he'd do that. McGinley said, try it. So I tried it. And the next day in the radio station, my drinking buddy came by and asked me to knock off and come over and have a beer. I said, okay, just a minute. And I took him back in the record room and shut the door behind us. And I turned to him and I said, uh, Pete, his name is Pete Cicchini. I said, have you ever been saved? He turned all colors of the rainbow and said, what's my view, Ruckman? What's my Ruckman? You, 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 you get religion? I said, no, I'm not getting religion. I just got saved. I received Jesus Christ. You ever been born again? He went out that door like a bat out of Hades, brother. And we never had another drink again. You want to get rid of the old crowd? I tell you how to get rid of them. Start speaking up for Jesus Christ. And I don't mean for some fool experience you had. I mean, you start talking to them about Jesus Christ himself. Well, scatter. That'll tie the rag in the bush. That's where the furrow hit the fan. You ought to confess Christ because what a Christ has done for you. If someone did a great thing for you, you'd tell everybody about it. Now, if you were rescued from death in some miraculous way, wouldn't you tell somebody about it? Well, if you're saved, you're saved by a great Savior. And you surely must tell the news to everybody you meet. How can you keep your mouth shut? I mean, like a little boy said one time, I had a leg operation. He hadn't walked for 12 years, and a famous Viennese doctor fixed his leg so he could walk. And when he got back on his feet again, he said about Dr. Huggins, he said, 
Gonk, who said, I can never repay you for what you've done, came a poor family. They couldn't pay the hospital bill. But he said, God willing, he said, my neighbor's never going to hear the end of this. Meaning he'd never quit telling people what that doctor had done for him. Now, if the great physician has saved your soul and taken you by the hand and got your bleeding feet off the hot pavements of hell, how is it you can't open your mouth and tell people about it? There are all kinds of ways of confessing Jesus Christ. You can confess him publicly in a church assembly or the prayer meeting or a young people's meeting or a testimony meeting. You can confess him privately to your friends, relatives, and neighbors in daily conversation. A Christian can confess Jesus Christ publicly by public baptism in association with a good Bible-believing church. He can confess Christ publicly by constant attendance at a Bible-believing church. Perhaps the most difficult yet most essential is by simply relating his testimony to relatives, friends, and strangers and telling them how the Lord Jesus Christ saved him. Is one public confession enough for life? Of course not. It should be done repeatedly. The Christian life that is not confessed will starve and die on the stalk. Uh, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. Jeremiah said, I'm going to quit confessing the Lord. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm resigning from the ministry. But then he goes on and says this, Jeremiah 20, verse 9, But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He couldn't hold the thing back. Now, that's the experience of every true Christian that attempts to limit his testimony. A fire cannot be hid. It must reveal itself. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. You can see it. A lamp that's lit is not to be put under a bushel, but to be placed up there on the corner table where it can give light to the whole house. A Christian should confess Jesus Christ repeatedly where the Lord gives him opportunity. The experience of every true Christian is that the Word of God gets in him and there's a burning fire in his bones and he can't shut his mouth. He's got to open his mouth even if he puts his foot in it, which sometimes he will. Now, to whom should we witness? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost didn't come to testify of himself. He came to testify of Jesus Christ. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So the twelve apostles were to witness to everyone. Jerusalem was their hometown. From there they went to Judea, the province. From there to Samaria, the neighboring country, and then on to the heathen, the ends of the earth. Our chief responsibility is to witness to our relatives first, our friends next. Then later our circle of influence will grow and will reach more and more people, and God will expand the circle. When I first got saved and got born again, the first thing I did was witness to the people in the radio station that worked with me. The next people I witnessed to publicly and openly to were people in the church, the Brent Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. The next bunch of people I witnessed to were my immediate relatives, my family, and my mother and my father. From there, I had a chance to witness to towns in South and North Carolina and Tennessee, Troy, Landrum, Inman, Simpsonville, Traveler's Rest, Columbus, Gastonia, Hendersonville, Tryon, Bryson City, Bristol City, Brevard. I couldn't, I've lost track of the cities. 
And from there, that ministry went into North, South, North and South Carolina, then into Virginia, then into Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and now it covers the Atlantic, the Pacific, and the Canadian border to the Gulf of Mexico. My meetings now take me from San Francisco and Los Angeles to San Antonio and Fort Worth, down to New Orleans and Houston, back up to Oklahoma City and Tulsa, off over to Chicago, up to Green Bay, Wisconsin, across to Rochester, New York, down to Newark, New Jersey, down the coast to Savannah, and on down to Miami, Jacksonville, Tampa, Orlando, and every place in between. And in the near future, we may be going to foreign countries to witness. You start witnessing at home and keep up as a faithful witness, and God will open doors for you, and that circle will get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. To this day, I don't know where my personal witness has gone. I have no idea. For example, these radio programs you're listening to are taped and retaped and go out into about five other states. And in addition to them, at the Pensacola Bible Institute, they're taping over 2,000 hours of sermons and chalk talks and special studies and Bible studies. And I get reports of the, on these from Germany, Alaska, the Virgin Islands, and the Philippines. Now, I only say this to say this, that I wasn't raised a Christian. There are no preachers in my family. My people were all military people. I was one of these goody-goody boys raised in a Christian day school and a Christian college. I was raised in the infantry and in the civilian life in the bars and the dance bands. And if God can make an old dog like me and pull me out of the alley and patch me up and use me for his glory at least that much, think what he could do to some of you that got saved when you were young and stayed right and lived a clean life and had all the advantages I didn't have. Shame on you if you're not witnessing for Jesus Christ every chance you get. Now, in witness for Jesus Christ, what should we say? Well... A confession of the Lord Jesus is witnessing to the fact, first of all, that one is a Christian, a believer on Jesus Christ. A witness is one that knows something. He is somebody that sees something or observes something or been through something. Witnessing is not necessarily preaching sermons, but telling the simple story of the actual facts that you know to be true. That is, when the witness is called in and put on the stand, he's asked to raise his right hand, and do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you, God. Every Christian is a witness. And you are called upon to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you, God. Witness, a witness's knowledge must be positive, definite, personal, direct, and not hearsay, and not imagination. Don't waste too much time telling folks about what you experience in your feelings. Some of that could have been neurotic, some of it could have been psychotic. Some of it could have been based on your metabolism or gland failure to function. Be careful of that. The witness must be something, uh, the thing that he witnessed to must be something that has affected some of his five senses. That is, the witness must testify to something he read and saw in print or something he felt or something that happened to him that changed his life or an observer of his own life after the change. A witness for Jesus Christ must be saved himself, that goes without saying. His testimony must be capable of enduring under cross-examination. Tell the simple facts of your conversion. 
Tell the simple facts of the change in your life. Tell about the answers to prayer you've received. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. If you have experienced that, tell people about it. Tell how the Lord Jesus Christ satisfied you completely. If you say, I'm saved and really happy since the Lord Jesus took away my sins, people will listen. Don't say that you're happy and look as miserable as death when you say it. Talk about personal victory over sin and temptation. This interests people because many of them are having a great deal of trouble with sin and temptation. Of course, your personal life must be clean before you can say this. Witness and tell people about your favorite verse of Scripture in the Bible, about how God speaks to you through a pastor's Scripture. Give your friend the gospel of Christ. You want to talk about something, you talk about Jesus Christ. If you remember our lessons on pneumatology and the Holy Spirit, you remember how over and over again the Holy Spirit, in writing the Gospel of John, emphasized the fact that he, the Holy Spirit, came not to witness to the Holy Ghost, but witness to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said when the Holy Spirit would come, he would not testify of himself, but he would testify of Jesus Christ. He'll teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance. Go back and we'll read those past in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And notice in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit was never called to testify of himself. When Paul asked those unsaved Old Testament disciples of Apollos in John 19, if they've received the Holy Ghost since they believe, he's not talking about any Christian anywhere in the confines of America, living or dead before or after you were born. You have to be careful of that kind of thing. You've got to look out at these rascals that keep perverting that book because they know you won't check it to see what they're saying. When Paul asked that question in Acts chapter 19, he's not that asking that thing to a bunch of Baptist son of the New Testament or a bunch of people who've been baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He asked that to a bunch of disciples of a Jewish apostle named Apollos who taught only the baptism of John in Matthew chapter 3. Be careful. A man who is spirit-filled doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about the Holy Ghost. A man who is spirit-filled witnesses about the Lord Jesus Christ's perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his second coming, and the white throne judgment. Now, there are several hindrances to confessing Christ. There, are, there shouldn't be any, for we ought to obey the plain command of Scripture, but the fear of man could keep you from confessing Christ. If you're afraid of what people say, you should read 2 Timothy 1.7, where we read that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In relation to our assurance of salvation, John said there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So if you're a timid Christian and a backward Christian or an awkward Christian and have a hard time witnessing, you should claim a famous promise like Philippians chapter 4.13 and ask God to give you the strength necessary to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Then finally, people don't uh, confess Christ or they're hindering from confessing Christ because of being ashamed of him. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but be partaker of the affliction of the gospel. Mainly, however, the reason why the average Christian likes to talk about his personal experiences and the Holy Ghost instead of witnessing for Christ is because of an impure life. Fear of the spoken testimony will not be in agreement with the actual life lived. Begin at the beginning. 
If your problem for not confessing Christ is you don't know you're saved, begin by confessing your failure to believe what God said and your sin in making a liar out of God, and ask Him to give you assurance of salvation, and take the sin out of your life that is keeping you and preventing you from believing Him. The Bible says we know we have the petition we ask of Him, we have confidence in Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And where your life is not pleasing in the sight of the Lord, you'll often doubt your assurance, and you'll often fail to confess Christ publicly, because your own conscience is condemning you. Paul says, or John says, if our heart doesn't condemn us, then we have confidence. But if our heart does condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. The Lord knows whether you are saved or not. But if your heart is condemning you and putting you down because of the impure life you're living, you will never be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. You may spend a lot of time talking about experience of the Holy Ghost and the baptism and this and that, but as a witness for Jesus Christ, you'll be a perfect blank. All right, now the danger of not witnessing is apparent. There's a solemn warning to the silent believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in both Testaments. Paul says in Acts chapter 20, I am free from the blood of all men, for I have not come to declare you all the counsel of God. Paul implies that if a man doesn't declare what God said as God said to the people around him, then in a sense he's responsible for their failure, their ignorance, their lost condition, their unbelief. So the Christian should, as some evangelists put it, wash his bloody hands and get the blood off his hands. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 33:8, When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. So we see we are not necessarily responsible for results. If people refuse to accept our witness and earnest pleadings, that is their responsibility. But our responsibility is to witness. Now, we'll talk about this in great more detail next week when we talk about the most uh, important subject of the new Christian life, and that is the matter of soul winning. But here let it be noticed that there is no commandment in the New Testament to win souls of Jesus Christ. Now, the verse that say that a man should be all things to all men, the ball means he might win some. There are commandments in the New Testament that state that a man should uh, reap and work in the field and witness for Christ, but there's nothing there directly about soul winning. Proverbs in the Old Testament says in Proverbs chapter 11, He that winneth souls is wise. Daniel says if you turn many to righteousness, you'll shine as the stars forever. But in the New Testament, the main burden of the commandment is given to witness, to witness, to witness, to witness, to witness. Every Christian is a witness. Your job is to privately and publicly testify to the fact that Jesus Christ is not dead, he's living. He is not buried, he's risen. He isn't through, he's coming again. Your job as a witness is to tell people what you know to be true about the Lord Jesus Christ. Your job is to tell them the Lord Jesus Christ was virgin-born, which he was, that he was God manifest in the flesh, even though that has been taken out of every Bible in your shelf except the King James Bible. If you have a King James Bible, your Bible still says in 1 Timothy 3.16 that God was manifest in the flesh. If you have some other version, you have the incarnation of God denied in 1 Timothy 3.16. That's why in this Bible broadcast we always use the Holy Bible. We never use modern translations because they pervert the deity of Christ 
in 1 Timothy 3.16. A good witness will not lie about the facts. A good witness will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You should witness the fact the Lord Jesus Christ as God manifest in the flesh, dying for your sins, a completed atonement for sinners, but whosoever will may call upon the name of the Lord, whosoever will may come, and whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In short, you should be one of Jesus Christ's ambassadors to tell the world that reconciliation is available in Jesus Christ, that God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. May God help you to be a faithful witness by every means possible, at all times possible, to the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you, and good day.